Hey there, listeners. It's your pal Brian Savvy from the Cult of Colt and Hogshaven here to tee up this edition of the NFC East Mixtape, a podcast put together by two very talented and knowledgeable voices of SB Nation, RJ Ochoa of Blogging the Boys and Brandon Lee Gowton of Bleeding Green Nation. These two gents have some fantastic insights about the NFC East as a whole, not just the Cowboys and Eagles, and I'm going to be chiming in with some perspectives on the Washington football team and the division on the show going forward. You'll see some of these episodes in your Hogshaven podcast feed, so I hope you give them a listen. We know your listening time is valuable, and we appreciate you taking that time to spend it with us. Enjoy! Welcome back. It is the NFC East Mixtape presented to you in partnership by Blogging the Boys, Bleeding Green Nation, SB Nation's home for Dallas Cowboys and Philadelphia Eagles content. However, we do have a twist on a new partner of sorts. I am Arjo Ochoa from Blogging the Boys. He is Brandon Lee Gotten from Bleeding Green Nation. BLG, happy week 15 to you, sir. Well, what's the twist? You can't just tease that and not get into that. Well, you know, BLG, first of all, big time shout out to the loyal listeners of the NFC's mixtape, the people that blog on the voice, the people at Bleeding Green Nation, because they're Cowboys fans, they're Eagles fans. I'm not trying to say you and I are somewhat responsible for world peace, but we have kind of brokered a, a treaty of sorts among these rivals. And so we've been we've been getting hit up. We've been we've been being told people are, are adding us on Twitter at Brandon Gowden, at RJ Ochoa. We want to hear from the football team people. We want to hear from the Giants people. BLG and I, we are men of the people. So you know what we did? We hit them up. We hit up Brian Stabby from Hogshaven. We hit up Ed Valentine from Big Blue View. And starting this week, BLG, every episode of the NFC's mixtape, you'll obviously get the conversation between BLG and I. But we will have some audio clippings from Stabby over at Hogshaven, SB Nation's home for Washington football team content, and from Ed over at Big Blue View, SB Nation's home for New York Giants content. They'll give us a little bit, something to react to, something to kind of digest. This episode and all episodes, by the way, are now also accessible on the Hogshaven podcast feed. Uh, so shout out to our Washington football team listeners. If this is your first time listening to us, we don't take offense to that, but we are now living rent-free in your minds as well. Um, we're working on the Big Blue View uh, network side of things, but we are truly brokering an entire NFC East treaty here, BLG. And in fact, our new logo represents that. We have all four colors of all four teams. There's a lot of peace, love, and harmony happening here. Uh, very exciting, I think. Very convenient time for you in terms of being <laughs> positioned mm -hmm. on the Hogshaven right. feed right after the Cowboys <laughs> beat Washington. Like, what if you're looking for a conspiracy here, football teams fans, uh, look no further. But uh, yeah, it's exciting, and we'll definitely have uh, Brian and Ed, I'm sure, on in a more you know full time capacity. Other times down the road, we still have to do like a a quadcast between the four of us at one point. Um, we'll figure all that out. But in the meantime, this is, I think, kind of our uh, more feasible solution of hearing from those guys every week without trying to coordinate four different schedules for one time. Uh, so it's exciting. It's a good day for the NFC's mixtape, the best podcast in the entire universe. You know, it is. And you mentioned it's a good time. This is actually an appropriate time to have all of the, you know, kind of input and voices because this is an NFC East week, BLG, week 15. The Dallas Cowboys will visit the New York, not good at all at the sport of football giants. And the Washington football team will visit the Philadelphia Eagles in a battle for a wild card spot in the NFC. The title of today's episode, incidentally, uh, before we get there, a reminder, and this is a new reminder to our Hawks Haven listeners to subscribe to your preferred podcast network. Whatever team you're a fan of, go to your SB Nation affiliate, subscribe, leave a rating, write a review, tell them how much you love them. But 
do the cross review, go to a different team. If you're a Cowboys fan, go to Bleeding Green Nation, go to Hogs Haven, one or the other, leave a five-star rating, write whatever you want. If you're a Cowboys fan, go to Hogs Haven, say, hey, how's it feel? How's it feel, Ron Rivera? Mike McCarthy guaranteed it, and now you got to eat that L. Mike McCarthy <laughs> brought the benches to FedEx Field, and now you got to eat that L. So share the love, share the wealth. There's a lot of, like I said, love to go around. Really kind of amazing potential here with the cross reviews, with mm. getting more of the fans involved. I mean, because, you know, there's just potential for so much to happen with all these reviews. So uh, we appreciate it. And and that's the thing. It's not just exciting for this show, RJ, like I said, that the mixtape is kind of, you know, evolving here. Like when I say that, it's not just about the podcast, you and I and the people on it. It's the listeners, too, because we obviously have a great engaging audience. That's what I love about this audience. Uh, a lot of good feedback. And love to hear that. Apparently, I say cookies weird. I didn't know that, but apparently, I do. Yeah, you say like cookies. Like you're like it's a very interesting. (laughs) Like I'm Cookie Monster. (laughs) See, you said it normal there, um, but you didn't say it normally last week when you talked about Mm. the ones you baked. I showed that photo to my wife. She said that all of them looked really great. The caramel popcorn ones, though, uh, were her favorite. So, I mean, again, a professional baker actually made those, so Mm -hmm. that's. It should yeah, be that way. I included that just for full transparency because that's how I am, BLG. I'm not, you know, I'm always going to call it like it is. I'm not going to mm. add anything. And so in the spirit of that, for new listeners, we do go in order of divisional standings, which means like we have for most of this season, Brandon, we have to start with America's team, the Dallas Cowboys, who traveled to the capital of this great country this past weekend (laughs) and got the dub. Like I said, Mike McCarthy, I thought the guarantee was silly. It happened after we recorded last week. Um, Whatever, it was blown out of proportion. The benches was a fun thing to... I'll be honest, get some content out of, but again, a silly little thing. I have set up the benches a little bit in case people didn't hear about that. So uh, for the New York Giants or Philadelphia Eagles fans, I suppose, because I imagine all Cowboys and football team fans are aware. um, Now over two weeks ago, when the Seattle Seahawks, as you noted, Brandon, the original Washington football team, when they traveled to Landover to play uh, DC's football team, um, they experienced the benches on their sideline going out as far as the heating mechanism within them. So not fully heating and warming them throughout the entire game on Monday Night Football. Cowboys got wind of this by way of the Seattle Seahawks. They say, you know what? We're the most valuable organization in the world of professional sports. We got money. Let's throw it around. So the Cowboys hit up a company called Dragon Seats, a uh, great name in Ohio, had them commission these benches for them and sent them to FedEx Field so that the Cowboys would not experience any uh, frigid bumps, uh, I guess, is maybe maybe backs too. Uh, but uh, but so what made them sort of controversial uh, was that they had the Cowboys logo. They said Cowboys in the Cowboys font for what it's worth. ESPN's Todd Archer reported the Cowboys did not ask for logos. So um, that could have been on the company if this had gone, mm. you know, sideways, I think. Uh, but uh, it looked like the Cowboys kind of, you know, you know, planting the flag a la Baker Mayfield this time on the sideline. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it was an ugly win, uh, but they did win. So all that kind of stuff, the Mike McCarthy hollow guarantee, the benches, it all looks cool because the Cowboys got the win on the road against a division rival and took over FedEx field. Uh, Dan Snyder, uh, what's up, Hogshaven, the worst owner in professional sports. Uh, his stadium was overrun by Dallas Cowboys fans, uh, and that was obvious from start to finish. Uh, Frigid Bumps, my nickname in high school. Um, anyway, nice. uh, <laughs> uh, that's all I was thinking about when you were talking. Nice. Uh, yeah, this is a weird win, I think, for the Cowboys in that 
uh, it was like a dominant game. Like Dallas was never not in control of this mm-hmm. game. And honestly, that's the Cowboys formula for winning. Typically, like when the Cowboys get up like that, they're not they're not a team that like like is going to blow the lead. Like, but on the flip side of that is usually when they get behind big, they're not necessarily a team that's built to like come back from a deficit. It's like they're front runners, just like the fans. You know, they get out to a lead and they keep in control of that. Um, I was also waiting to say that all week when I was watching the game. Uh, so I think it's kind of straightforward as that in terms of like they got out to this good start. Although it's weird because I've seen this from you, obviously I'm blogging the boys and other writers. It's like, okay, Cowboys win, dominant performance, defense plays really well. Micah Parsons, great game, having a great season as a rookie. I imagine we'll talk here at some point in the next few minutes or whatever about Micah Parsons versus Devontae Smith or whatever. But uh, the underlying thing, like concern from this game, even though you win, is like Dak Prescott because it's one thing to be able to beat up on a team that's, you know, wild card position, but not, you know, an elite by any means. It's another thing to go up against the best teams in the league, like you're going to be in the playoffs and not have a quarterback who's playing very well and hasn't been playing well for an extended period of time. So, like, what's the concern level with Dak as he continues to not look on his A game? It's extremely hot. And on the subject of that, uh, as we always do, we will read any sort of review that we get, uh, whether it's at Blog and the Boys, Bleeding Green Nation, now Hogs Haven, or Big Blue View. Uh, we did have a review that I wanted to save for this portion of the conversation, BLG. It comes to us from Let It Fly 35, five star review, titles, NFC's mixtape. This is at Blog and the Boys. Uh, it reads I am officially 100% concerned about this offense. I think that McCarthy mm-hmm. should really be considering taking over the play calling duties for Kellen Moore thoughts. Um, (laughs) So um, it is more than fair to be concerned uh, about Dak Prescott. And I've said this a lot and it bears repeating BLG. This is not true for you because you're a jerk, but um, at some point over the last, I don't know, maybe since he was injured, especially given the, the contract situation at the time, it became a matter of if you criticize Dak Prescott within Cowboys Twitter you are a hater. You never believed, yeah. you know, whatever. Like the the discussion has become he's the greatest quarterback of all time and nothing else. And I I mean, I still believe Dak is, you know, like he is still a great quarterback. The the overall of who he's been is not impacted. Like I, I think the take of like, did they mess up on the contract? Whatever, like that's silly. He is clearly right. though playing extremely poorly. Um, he's not the MVP anymore. Right. No, and really. but, like, to be fair, I don't know who is. I, I mean, maybe it's Tom Brady, I guess. Um, maybe Matthew Stafford reentered the conversation, but that's that's a different discussion. But I mean, they won in spite of him. I mean, he almost literally threw the game away here. And that was terrible. It was awful, dude. I mean, that was one of the worst throws I've ever seen him make. And so I just don't understand. And a lot of people obviously have gone back to the calf injury. And that is the natural, you know, sort of connection to make, given that that's where the struggles have started here. And and before, you know, I guess over the last month and change, there's there's been this like kind of, you know, new excuse every week to, to I guess, to use that word. It's been, well, you know, everyone is in COVID protocol. Amari was out, the offensive line. It's like, no, dude. I mean, now, you know, for two straight games, granted, the offensive line did, you know, have to be shuffled up a bit. And, and Tyron Smith, by the way, is already declared out or has already been declared out for Sunday's game against New York. Um, so granted that happened, you've got Amari, you've got Michael Gallup, you've got CeeDee Lamb. Granted, you have no running game, but you have never needed a running game as far as you being an elite quarterback. And so, and, and he's clearly not running. And and I, you know, somebody tweeted at Blogging the Boys during the game. So why isn't he running? And we all know why, dude. I mean, like <laughs> the season was destroyed last year because he he decided to run. And so, 
there, there's this weird balance, right? Of like, should he run? Should he not run? Should he run in, in opportune times? He, he looks incredibly frantic and awkward um, and clunky. I'm actually reminded of a tweet from Michael Kist, uh, formerly of Bleeding Green Nation, now one of the head honchos uh, at SB Nation, obviously, um, of Carson Wentz, or about Carson Wentz last year. It was, I don't know if you remember this, BLG, it was like a video of somebody in like what I think was like the Kool-Aid Man costume playing a, a, playing the drums. And uh, Kiss's tweet was like, this is Carson Wentz's mind um, on any drop back. And, and it was like this <laughs> frantic, like Buddy Rich style, crazy drum solo. <laughs> and, and that's what like Dak looks like. Dak looks like he's, he's pressing and trying so hard and forcing and not taking any of the easy things on the subject of Kellen Moore, though. I mean, Kellen is awful. I mean, Kellen said, and I know I've told you this back, I think it was after the, the win against the Chargers, that their mindset was to aggressively attack what opposing defenses give them. Hogshaven, love you. But there were no defensive ends on the football team last week. And all Kellen Moore is doing is running up the gut against Jonathan Allen over and over and <laughs> over again. And so it's like, what are you doing? Um, I, I, So, I mean, and I will say I, I partly don't blame Kellen and I know it sounds weird because he's inhibited. What what can he do when his quarterback is not, you know, making these throws? I think that Dak is putting a bit of a, a ceiling on Kellen Moore's potential. So, I mean, I want to talk about Micah Parsons, but the offense is very troubling. It's hard to trust them. And it, it's hard to really – I don't know if you know this, but the seven worst pass rating – shout out to Bobby Belt of NFL Network who tweeted this out – of Dak Prescott's career on the road have all come in games where it has been 50 degrees or colder. Not that this was a cold game, but th there is some data building yeah. up here um, to kind of, you know, justify that in, in the outdoor elements, if it's cooler, you know, maybe it's not how he feels, but – I mean, there, there's a, there's something there to this is more than just a blip is my point. And that matters. Obviously, it's not just like a situation that's totally irrelevant. Like you're playing in Green Bay in the playoffs, you know, could be an issue, something to watch out for. Um, yeah, definitely concerning. I guess the thing I would say if <clears throat> I don't like to be in this position, but if I'm offering hope to Cowboys fans, it's that like the defense right now is going to buy you time. And having you know built up yeah. like the record you did early in the season, this is all going to buy you time. It's there's potentially time for Dak to get back on track before the playoffs begin. Um, so I guess that's the point of hope. It's not just not necessarily he has to be on his A game right now, but it's a question of like, okay, can he get back on track? Is that going to happen? That's that's not a guarantee given the way things are trending and how there's a big sample size of him, you know, not being on the mark right now. So, um, but hey. Again, like having at least, you know, you have a defense right now that can buy you the time. And uh and, and Mark Parsons obviously has been great, but I will say that uh <clears throat> I had this conversation with stats on the oddcast. And it doesn't matter in the sense that like the Cowboys are gonna benefit from the results of it, whether it was intentional or it was unintentional, but like cause cause this this happened on uh Sunday. There's like, oh my gosh, did the Eagles make a mistake by not taking Micah Parsons? And blogging the boys own was it Danny Phantom has yeah. said like he wrote that article about how the Cowboys like lucked into this situation and going back to our NFC East mixtape episode before the draft you literally said like taking Micah Parsons was one of the scenarios you feared the most now obviously that was before the trade down and everything but still like this wasn't like a player you were like yes that's the guy let's get him and let's make him an edge rusher or have him rush the passer and he's gonna be one of the best this is very much not 
thought out. And that's fine in the same like same standpoint that Dak Prescott was not the Cowboys' plan A by any means. He wasn't like, even wanted, their plan B. I mean, no, they, I think they're playing yeah. D, right? Because they wanted Carson Wentz, they wanted Paxton Lynch, they wanted mm-hmm. Connor Cook, and they yep. didn't get any of them. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, whatever. Like, it's working out, obviously, and that's really great for them. But it's just kind of like, I don't, I don't like regret not taking Micah Parsons at all. First of all, character concerns, you can't just, you know, like gloss over those. That's a big thing, especially for an Eagles team that very much at the time of their, 2021 first round pick two was coming off of Andre Dillard and Jalen Rager to mm-hmm. like not hits. It's like, you're looking for a, like a hit. And when you have Devontae Smith sitting on the board there, who like just won the Heisman and dominated the sec. And also you have nothing at receiver in part because you messed up the last draft and took Rager over Justin Jefferson. Like I, I do not begrudge the Eagles at all for taking Devontae Smith. And I don't, I genuinely think that's not like me homering it up. I mean, again, I am not reluctant to criticize the Eagles front office. Everyone knows that. So I don't think this is me just being like an Eagles apologist here. Uh, Obviously, you know, with the benefit of hindsight, you can say things, but like that's not really interesting because you can say that about anything. Well, yeah, Tom Brady shouldn't have been a six round pick then. Okay, yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so so I guess <laughs> what are your thoughts on that? So this was on Cowboys Reddit uh, from a user, Jack Bogle's mistress. Uh, through 13 games, Micah Parsons has more sacks, tackles, tackles for loss, and quarterback hits than Khalil Mack had in his entire 2016 season where he won defensive player of the year um i know i don't have to stretch very hard to prove to you that micah parsons is amazing i think you can argue he's the best rookie in the nfl i i I think there's a legitimate argument for that um i think there's an argument he's the best defensive player in the nfl uh which is why he's in contention for defense i don't think he is but yes he's in the conversation the argument is certainly there And, and so i think what I, your logic is sound as far as um, the Eagles are concerned. By the way, in Ed Valentine's Things I Think article at BigBlueView.com this week, he did express some regret for the Giants passing on Micah Parsons. And he did, unlike you or I, BLG, ahead of the draft, call Micah Parsons the best defensive player in the class. He was somebody who really saw and believed. So shout out to yeah. Ed, uh, who now gets to see Micah Parsons twice a year as a Dallas Cowboy, of course. Um, but what what I think just makes it sting a little if you're an Eagles fan, unless, besides the fact if you're a, a Penn State Eagles fan, which, as you know, there's a large contingency of, um, is that the Eagles traded up with the Cowboys. The Eagles paid the Cowboys to, to get to that spot to pass on Micah Parsons, to let him fall to Micah as well. We said going into the draft that that was going to be a really interesting thing to look back on forever with, at the time, Dallas being 10, New York 11, Philly 12, and then obviously Dallas and Philly swapping spots. Um, I get what you're saying, um, but the the hit you were supposed to have in Devontae Smith hasn't even really been the hit. You know, I mean, yeah. that, we'll, we'll get to the Eagles, yeah. but, uh, but Micah is, I mean, he's the best player on the team. I mean, and that's, that's the thing, like, I mean, the 12 sacks is obviously stupid. I mean, everything about who he is is stupid. There's a fun, youthful energy about him. He is, I mean, and, and that's that's what's, I mean, if you're a Cowboys fan, that's what's exciting. If the offense does figure it out, you have this weapon on defense that can keep you in these games. That's He's something that they have never had in the playoff games they've lost to Aaron Rodgers, to the Rams a couple of years ago. I mean, he, he is somebody who can make that difference. It's now just on the offense to get right. And I, I mean, it's an uncomfortable place to be at, but if you had to, if you had to establish one thing as being elite, I think you would want it to be the defense because this offense we know can be elite. And so if you give them that time, you mentioned they have a month. I mean, they're effectively division champions at this point. They have a month to kind of tinker and sort things out. And that's that's a nice little lull. But I mean, that, that month's going to go by quickly. 
Yeah. I mean, I've, he's only 22, right? I feel like, you know, we're watching like, not obviously the same exact kind of player, but like the, the Cowboys next DeMarcus Ware. Like, this is their next. So you've never really felt that way about um, DeMarcus Lawrence, like who's obviously a very good player, but I never, you know, DeMarcus Ware is a very, it's a, like you're talking about a Hall of Famer. Like you're talking, you know, a Broncos yeah. legend, you know, someone that's oh, like really nice. incredible um, yes. here that, that uh, I think, you know, early on, obviously Mike Parsons is on that kind of track. Um, yeah, I'm, I really am not losing sleep over not taking him. And I think Devonte, I've said it before, I'll say it again. I honestly believe he could be having a Justin Jefferson rookie season. Like he could be having that kind of season, maybe again, not at those numbers. So they're so high, but like in that realm, if he had a quarterback who threw the ball with volume instead of being like a super run heavy offense. And also right now, I think the last is it the last six weeks, the last four. I think it might be the last four weeks, six weeks, some one, some kind of time frame like that. Devontae Smith is getting like four point eight targets per game. To give you context on that, how low that number is, Pat Frymouth from the Steelers and J.D. McKissick, a running back on Washington. Those are those players are getting four point eight targets per game this season. Like that's that's clearly just not enough usage. Like that is. And that's not all just like, oh, he's covered. No, he's not. He's a really good route runner. He gets look, look, BLG. So, look, well, we, we could have the Devontae Smith conversation. It's time to get off the Cowboys. But we can't talk about the Eagles yet because per NFC East mixtape rules, we have to talk about the teams in divisional standing order. And the Eagles mm-hmm. are not even in second place in the NFC. So they, they're not deserving of, of the attention this early on in the show. Yeah. All right. We, we have. Oh, you say yet. Let's get to the Washington football team to set things up. As promised, here is Brian Stabby of Hogshaven giving us the one on one on what happened last week. The MO of the Washington football team in 2021 has been to get predictable results in unpredictable ways. And I. I think this game against the Cowboys was a microcosm of their season as a whole. Now, in the first quarter, things started off about as ugly as we have seen for a single quarter of football, particularly on the offensive side, in all of Ron Rivera's tenure. Now, Scott Allen did a much beleaguered Taylor Heineke no favors with his play calling as evidenced perhaps most starkly by those two first quarter interceptions, the first uh, made by Randy Gregory, brought in on a tip and catch a, a screen pass that had absolutely nobody fooled. And the second, I- inexplicably going empty backfield on fourth and three at around midfield that saw Taylor Heineke get absolutely buried by Micah Parsons and resulted in a 53-yard fumble and rumbled in the end zone by Armstrong that put Washington in an 18-point hole just 15 minutes into the game. Now, the second quarter, uh, frankly, Washington really should have considered themselves lucky to be down just 24 at the end of the first half. Uh, Lucky, if not embarrassed. I mean, they were outpaced total yards. Dallas had 214 to Washington's 29, including an abysmal net minus seven passing yards. They were 0 of 6 on third down. Now, for the fans, though, regardless of their rooting interest, they filled FedEx Field to at or near capacity for the first time in a very long time. And the Washington football team made that second half much more watchable, even if it wasn't exactly the outcome that those in Burgundy and Gold were hoping for. And we can say that that's about half of those in attendance. We'll, we'll put it right around half. You know, They started doing things, though, in the second half that they had done right in the winning streak that led up to this game. 
They did a better job of controlling the line of scrimmage, something that they were terrible at in the first half. Uh, they maintained more time of possession, and, and they really shortened up the playbook to try to take some of the decision-making out of Taylor Heineke's hands. And that's something that we know uh, can help him. He's gotten acclimated, familiar with the, the offense, the play calling, but there are times where the pace of the game can catch up to him still, even as he starts to get better and better and better with the more experience that he has. You know, even on the long touchdown throw, though, to Camp Sims, which got them on the scoreboard well into the third quarter, that was a play, first of all, that is probably one of the top throws we've seen out of Heineke this year, and almost certainly the best play that we've seen out of Camp Sims this year. It was a, a play call where it was kind of an all-or-nothing thing. You know, there was really one option there, and it was, I'm throwing it down the field to Cam Sims, and to his credit, he got him, he got it there, and Sims went up, met the ball at the highest point, and brought that in, and, and gave them a little bit of life. Now, that play, which was also punctuated by Taylor Heineke's uh, now signature dive to the pylon on the two-point conversion, did light a fire under Washington that they absolutely did not have in the first half, even if it proved not to be enough to get them all the way back, and ultimately Heineke having to give way to Kyle Allen uh, to to man the helm due to some injuries in that second half. Uh, Washington did show signs of life, and I think do have some things that they can build off of going into this final stretch. Now, as I think about takeaways, there were some big negatives. Injuries, a major concern. Losing Terry McLaurin, the best offensive weapon that they have, is going to be big if it ends up being long-term. Taylor Heineke taking that injury in the second half. Uh, Two injuries, one to his leg. uses his legs a lot. One to his arm, already somewhat limited. That hampers his skill set going forward, provided that he's able to play. Now that, on top of now having three players go into COVID protocol, including Jonathan Allen, who balled out with seven tackles and a sack, that's going to present some challenges going forward. Turnovers continue to be a huge, a huge issue. Three fumbles, all of which were lost, and an interception, uh, including two defensive touchdowns, not a winning recipe. But largely Washington put themselves in a hole of their own making. This is a team that really only wins by narrow margins, and they can't expect to do much of anything if they're consistently playing from behind. Now, on the plus side, there are a few things Washington can hang their hat on. They scored 20 second-half points, which is the most they've scored in the second half of a game since they dropped 24 against who? The Dallas Cowboys on Thanksgiving of last year. They, on defense, had multiple interceptions for the third time this season. They recorded 100 rushing yards for the fourth consecutive game, ninth time overall this year. Individually, I love what I saw out of Cole Holcomb, who obviously had the pick six in that fourth quarter with four minutes left to go, but it was really a continuation of some strong play from him in pass coverage. He also led the team with eight tackles. Now, really, all of that is to say, before Dallas fans dislocate their own shoulders, try to pat themselves on the back after this win, which in my mind does ultimately lock up the division, to be fair, they should maybe go back and look a little bit about what it took to escape this game with just a one-score victory. Now, for Washington, things get a little bit tricky going forward. It's clear they were always going to have to at least split with Dallas and have a winning record in this last divisional stretch. And provided that they can sort of take this one game at a time, escape without these injuries becoming too serious, they still do stand a chance to put themselves into the postseason.
Now, if it ends up being Kyle Allen, he has shown himself to be capable, if not spectacular, on any given Sunday, though you could say that for much of the competition in the NFC East this season as a whole. Big time thank you. Big time shout out to Brian Stabby of Hogshaven. You can hear him on the Hogshaven Podcast Network. Subscribe, leave a rating, write a review. He is on Twitter at BStabby. If you would like to follow him, that's B-S-T-A-B-B-E. You know, you hate to see it, BLG. Just Washington fans sad because they they lost to to Daddy. They lost to the Dallas Cowboys. Their defense has been playing well recently. Uh, so that going into this game, they only kept the Cowboys to twenty points. Again, the Cowboys haven't been you know firing on all cylinders offensively, so that's maybe that's part of it. But still, defense has been solid. Um, Taylor Heineke had a hundred and ten point zero passer rating in that four game winning streak so obviously he was doing some good things by the way and uh it was reported just now while we are reporting uh i mean he's fine but just to to add to give some context uh, espn's jeremy fowler just tweeted out that source says uh he will he's fine um and he's trending towards playing so just you know an update of people just so people know dude you know let's be cool even so though like Seems like he might be playing at less than 100% because, you know, he's been like he had to leave the game a couple times with that knee injury, couldn't finish the game. So he might be able to play through it, but seems like, you know, could be kind of nagging thing, could bother him, could limit his performance. And that was kind of my big takeaway from Washington as a whole. Like things were looking good for them and they were trending in the right direction. And then as can happen in the NFL, like life comes at you fast. And all of a sudden, the starting left tackle Charles Leno goes down, starting. Uh, center Tyler Larson goes down the Achilles injury. Terry McLaurin gets knocked out of the game with a concussion. Montez Sweat was already on the COVID list and had to miss you know ten days because he's not vaccinated. And then Jonathan Allen, their you know sack leader, get, goes on the COVID list on Monday. So like I don't know, just like things got really bad for Washington really quickly, and not just because of the loss, but again all these other injuries and absences that are happening right before the Eagles are coming off their bye and Washington is coming to Philly. So. I feel really good about the Eagles this week in part just because of like how bad of a situation that Washington seems to be in right now very quickly. So, uh, yeah, I think things have gotten really ugly for them in a quick way. So as of Monday, they had nine players on the COVID list. Uh, Jonathan Allen, Montez Sweat, James Smith-Williams, Casey Tuhill, William Bradley King, who's practice squad player, Kaliki Hudson, David Mayo, Daryl Roberts, and Tameric Hemingway also on the practice squad. Also of note, BLG, uh, as far as Washington is concerned, there were, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, 37 players across the NFL placed on the COVID list on Monday. Um, and among them, uh, NFL Network's Tom Pelissero tweeted, um, on Monday evening that a tier three staffer with the Washington mm. team uh, tested positive specifically for the, is it Omicron? I've never heard it said out so. loud. I've only read it. Uh, yeah. Variant. Um, so that is the first known case of this specific variant in the NFL. Um, mm. So obviously Washington is, um, is heavily challenged in terms of players they're dealing with uh, on the COVID list, but they also have this, you know, what is now, uh, you know, temporarily a unique situation and we certainly hope everybody's doing well but um but yeah i mean i think it showed that they're um you know these players were hurt obviously and that's what made you know we're here to talk about the football team but that's what made the cowboys letting them back in this so frustrating is that terry mclaurin's down you know kyle allen got in this game i mean like it was just you know it, you sh- they should have beat this team you know it should have been 43 to 3 like the falcons win and so i give i give washington some credit for kind of battling back and it kind of made you know it makes it hard to really like you know pound your chest about it if you're a cowboys fan the way it ended um i don't know that there's reason for optimism 
um, for Washington relative to Dallas. I, I saw the, the recap. Thank you, Bear. That is my dog for all Hogshaven listeners. Um, I saw that they were talking about kind of feeling hopeful about next week's game at Dallas because we're in the middle now of the four-week stretch for the football team, BLG, where they got Dallas last week. They're in Philly this week, at Dallas next week, and then they get the Eagles again. I think Washington's hopes for the division title are over. I mean, they, they are, oh, yeah. in, but that's the thing. Like, so the game against Dallas really means nothing uh, to me as far as the, the NFC East is concerned. Uh, but they are obviously in the thick of this wild card race with not just the Eagles, but that's why this game, this these next three weeks are so important. I mean, these next three weeks are going to decide one of the wild cards in the NFC, uh, whether it's going to be Washington or Philadelphia. And so I, I, I don't know. If I believe in them, I, I certainly believe I, I think Ron Rivera deserves a lot of credit uh, for all of our Hogshaven listeners. BLG has been king of the Ron Rivera fan club since the offseason. And I I think that they'll that, that, I don't think they're going to get run over. I, I, I just I don't think that I, I mean, they were getting run over in the first half of this game against Dallas. I don't think Philadelphia can do that. And so I think they'll be in it. And I think if Taylor Heineke plays, I think. I'm kind of willing to say they win. I hope they don't as a Cowboys mm. fan, but but I'm I'm kind of that's that's where I'm leaning right now. Wow. Uh I just don't agree, man. Like they're so banged up all of a sudden and they're missing again, they're missing their two top defenders. I, th- I think the defense again it has been playing well. It's still solid. I agree with you from that standpoint, but I don't think they're just about to give like 40 points up all of a sudden, but like I mean, a banged up Heineke and maybe no Terry McLaurin, and then like their offensive line missing multiple starters on there. Like, I just I don't know what, what you've got there. And look at where are the Eagles trains start, Jay? Like in the trenches, they're, the Eagles defensive line, the Eagles offensive line, or at least in theory. And Washington right now is weak there with missing potentially Montez Sweat, Jonathan Allen, and again the offensive line missing multiple Washington's offensive line missing multiple starters. So I don't know. And I think you know how sometimes performances in the NFL uh, kind of like build off each other, or some things look more impressive uh, in hindsight. Well, I would like say the Washington opposite. division title in 2020. <laughs> I would say <laughs> the uh, recent Washington winning streak like it's oh, easy to poke what some a different hole. song you are singing as compared to last week well i said that's the thing though this is like this is how things change in the nfl things change quickly and the bucks win is obviously impressive you can't like Super poke any holes in that um but like after that okay they beat the panthers by six points the panthers beat the panthers like- in and I know he's been awful, but in, in the first game with Cam back, after the Panthers had gotten that win in Arizona, there was a lot of good energy there. That was not an easy win, but you're right. Cam is done. Cam is done, so they beat a quarterback who's done, so. Just applying context, but go on. I'm not, okay, these wins count, and they're like they're not awful wins, but they're not like when you look, I'm just saying you can easily poke holes in these. Like Cam is done. Then they beat the Seahawks. They only beat them by two points. Like, okay. And they ba- and they like... barely did. Shout out to the cold bench. Yeah. And then they only beat the uh, Raiders by two points in a game where Heineke had a couple turnover worthy yeah, plays that were like it. dropped by the Raiders. Yeah. So like, you know, it's like, they're not exact, exactly firing in all cylinders. Now, you know, if they have those results and they go out and beat the Cowboys, it's like, okay, this team is figuring things out. They are building on this, but like to go out there and not just lose to the Cowboys again, but they got dominated. They were never in that game. Like you kind of touched on it there in terms of the Cowboys, like letting them back in. it. That was what that was about. This wasn't like Washington fighting back. 
I mean, that pick six was a gift. Like Washington did nothing to deserve that play. Like Dak just literally threw right to the linebacker. It's not like they can. I don't. I don't think like they confused him or like he wasn't like pressured on that play. It's just like he threw right at the other team, and it was a pick six, and that made the game look a lot closer than it actually really was. And obviously, Dallas's offense kind of just sputtering. Like they totally uh, missed an opportunity when they were twenty up twenty four to zero to really you know stomp on Washington's throat and just like end the game decisively and not give them any hope at the end. So right. uh, yeah, I, I just don't think Washington's trending in a good re- way right now after it seemed like they were. Uh, to that point, Antonio Gibson fumbles in the second half and gives the ball to the Cowboys at the 25 yard line. I think a, a, a good team, which are a good offense, which was what we want the Cowboys to be uh, at least one fourth of the NFC's mixed in. Um, you know, scores. You got 25 yards. You know what I mean? You score a touchdown. The Cowboys sputter and kick a field goal. And I think, you know, there was the the pick six that obviously, you know, made this game look closer. But even the touchdown before that, um, that was a little bit of prevent defense from the Cowboys just because it did seem kind of like, okay, you know, whatever. Let's just, you know, we're get, trying to get out of here injury free. You know what I mean? Go ahead and score. We'll get the ball back. And then Dak throws the pick six. So, like, there is some, like, again, you can you can pick it apart a little bit. And so that's fair. I mean, I, I, sort of agree i'm not saying they're a contender you know by any means i i do believe they're in the mix for the wild card obviously this week's gonna you know go a long way at deciding you know who's gonna get that because i think one of these two teams is going to get that especially if if one of them sweeps the other that is a nice segue blg to get to the third place team in the division the philadelphia eagles who are coming off their bye and i would like to read to you blg something from one of my favorite websites BleedingGreenNation.com. Um, so for all blogging the boys fans, I did include this in my State of the NFC East recap post that you can read at our site. But uh, this comes to us, BLG, appropriately, given that it is Washington Philly week. Um, a Virginia guy, Eagles fan, John Stolness of the Bleeding Green Nation universe. John writes, imagine the following scenario. Hurts and the offense struggles against the football team in much the same way they did two weeks ago against the Giants. He's turned the ball over twice. He's inaccurate and out of sync. Yet the Eagles trail only ten to three. What's that scenario feel like to you? Uh, realistic. I mean, that could happen. <laughs> it's not out of the question. Uh, again, so my confidence. John, what? John's whole uh, article here, by the way, for anyone, since I'm not going to read the whole thing, was about how. This season shouldn't even be about the playoffs, BLG, for the Eagles. This should be about the development of Jalen Hurts, that there, or not, rather the development of a decision on Jalen Hurts, that there has to be a commitment one way or the other after this season is over. Jalen Hurts is the guy. Jalen Hurts is not the guy. So you cannot turn to Gardner Minshew, who led the Eagles to victory the last time we saw them, if this is the case. What are your takes on this? If that scenario arises in this game on Sunday, do you want to see the Eagles go for broke, playing for the playoffs, or do you want to see – who Jalen Hurts is in a moment of extreme, you know, legitimacy like that. Unless they're down by like, you know, 50 to zero or something ridiculous, then Gardner Minshew should not be entering this game, in my opinion. Because I, I agree with John's premise there on the whole. And those things aren't mutually exclusive. It's like, obviously, you care about the playoffs too, but that's not like just make, it's not make the playoffs at any cost. Like that is not, you know, the objective of the season. And admittedly so going in, it was about transition year, kind of figuring out some long-term uh, answers to certain, you know, spots. It's just quarterback head coach. Uh, I would say that if Jalen Hurts goes out and has a game like he did against the Giants, which was terrible, zero touchdowns, three interceptions, and was just, 
I don't I don't care that you know to be specific, oh, yeah. you mean the loss against the Giants, not the game yeah. against the Giants. Just just so we're clear. Okay. Yes, when the Eagles lost to the Giants. Right, okay. The Eagles lost to the Giants. And <clears throat> I think that could warrant a benching for Jalen Hurts, but that would be going into the next game. I don't think we're seeing any kind of in-game benching here. Um and that performance against the Giants is one that I can't just say the Eagles are going to come out and beat the crap out of Washington because when you see that game and that's what you're coming off of, aside from the Jets game, which is an obvious easy win, then that's still in your mind. Now, that being said, I think, you know, with the Eagles kind of taking care of business against some lesser teams for the most part this year, especially lesser quarterbacks, uh, which they have done, even in the general, like even against the Giants, they only allowed 13 points. They didn't like, you know, get dominated by any means. Um, it's just that the Eagles couldn't score more than seven. Uh, and the combination of that and Washington just, you know, not being really good. And also, if you look at point differential, Washington's like negative 50 or whatever, and the Eagles are like plus something. It's, like, it's almost it's like this huge gap. Well, they have that big win against the Falcons. It's like inflating that back in sure. well, one. Sure, one. Yeah, but and still, the Lions like, win, yeah. But yeah, but like Washington doesn't have something like that. Um, so, you know, you take that for what it's worth. And Washington did play the Falcons, by the way. Uh, so... Uh, yeah, so I, I don't know. I just think the Eagles are out ahead of this thing, and I think they are going to win this week. I don't know necessarily that I, I said before in last week's episode that I thought Washington might be able to split with both of these teams, or at least one of them. And I've been feeling like the Eagles are kind of split with Washington, and I think that's possible. You know, maybe uh, in the time between the, t- the time these teams play and a couple weeks from now, which is silly, the second time in three weeks, maybe they're healthier in terms of getting Sweat back and Allen back and and you know whoever uh, their their offensive linemen, whatever. So maybe that game is tougher. It's also in uh, Landover, Maryland, as opposed to this one being you know in Philly. Bring your own benches, by the way. Piece of advice. Yeah, yeah that's the key. Um, the Eagles will be bringing a lot of Eagles fans. A lot of Eagles fans do travel to that game, as Cowboys fans travel to that game as well. So uh, I'm rambling here, but uh, I feel confident that the Eagles are going to win this week. I do. Do you feel like this game? Because I felt this way last week. I, you know, the conversation for us was like, "Man, this is the first first game against Washington, especially late in the year like this in December that has some juice, right?" You know, because generally it's kind of like, "Man, that season's over. The seasons they've won the division title have been years that the Cowboys have lost their starting quarterbacks. It's kind of been whatever." Um, so it had some juice, and then you know it was quickly gone in a good way uh, for for me at least. But um, do you feel that way? Like, do, does this feel like juice to you, or does this this feel like? Well, it's it's big, but kind of in a pathetic way. Not a lot of juice. Um, the Washington <laughs> games were weird last year in that, you know, the first one was in week one, and it looked like the Eagles were going to have a great 2020 season because they're up. But then they lost. <laughs> well, well, yeah, at first I'm saying they were up big. Uh, Carson Wentz looks like, oh, this is like 2017 Carson Wentz, like he, or, not, or, you know, whatever. This is like Carson Wentz uh, in good form, and then the game quickly turned into a disaster and the Eagles lost and that set the tone for a really bad season and then obviously the last game was the tank game so that was weird a weird way to kind of bookend the season there um so yeah like coming off of last year there wasn't like a lot of necessarily juice to those games and now I don't think there is like a ton of juice for this opponent specifically um because it's not like they have like you know like who are who's like the, the the key rival player in Washington that you hate it's not the quarterback because like Taylor Heineke is like dude whatever. this is Ryan Kerrigan's game. I mean, <laughs> Ryan Kerrigan with, I mean, that's the like, juice. 
with like two or three tackles and like 200 and something snaps this year, just basically like invisible out there each week. Uh, kind of like remarkable how much he has not appeared, uh, like good or bad almost. Uh, yeah. So I don't think there is a lot of juice for this game other than people are excited for the Eagles potentially, you know, pushing for a playoff spot. Are you willing to say whoever wins this game sweeps the series over the next three weeks? Um, no, because I am. I'm. I'm willing to say that whoever wins this game wins them both. Well, our, and I'm and that, that there's there's necessary context just to be clear if there's injuries or something changes. But right. you know, just just to be clear, go ahead. By the way, that's another lame part of these games being so close together. Is oh, like, dude, it sucks. The cool thing about spreading out the division games is because like those teams are different teams at different mm-hmm. points in the season. And mm-hmm. now it's basically like you're almost getting like the same team. So that's boring. Like you're just getting the same game potentially or a similar game like twice. So I think that's dumb. Um, but earlier you said that you feel like one of these two NFC's teams is going to be in the playoffs. So does that mean you're counting out your boy Kirk Cousins? Because that basically that's what that means if you're if you're expecting one of the two NFC's teams to get in. Because the 49ers, right, are going to be probably you think the six seed. The Rams are probably locked in at the five. So then that only leaves one more spot. Then I might have to kick out these NFC East teams. Okay. Um, that's yeah. I you know I hadn't I hadn't fully fleshed the thought lack out. Of you faith. Know. Lack of I, faith in Kirk Cousins surprising from you. I look. I, this is our first episode on Hogshaven, so I don't I don't want to upset people. I think you can win with Kirk Cousins. All right, I think this year's Vikings team is really letting him down defensively, but that's a different subject. This isn't the NFC North mixtape. Um, but I think Kirk Cousins could be a quarterback in this division next year. By the way, like like I mean not, not for the Eagles, but like tell me if if Minnesota moves on, if the pressure does get loud, if they reset, if they fire Mike Zimmer or whatever. I mean, and he's a free agent. Tell me he doesn't. Like telling me him returning to Washington or going to New York is impossible. You can't. I think it's I think it's impossible that he would go to Washington. Like, I don't I think that ship has sailed. I think there was okay, some stuff New York there then. with like yeah, the, okay. Snyder. The relationship there is bad. Yeah. But New York, yeah. tell me that's him. He remember he almost went to the Jets, you know, when he was a free agent. So mm. like he's clearly aware of the like lifestyle, I guess. Uh I mean and and you know, he's gonna be, you know, it's gonna be Aaron Rodgers and I I know we both love Russell Wilson, but like Russell's, you know, I know they've won two games in a row, but I mean, Russell, I don't know that I would hitch my wagon to him in 2022. I'm not saying I'm pumped about hitching it to Kirk Cousins, but if you're trying to tread water, I think he's a better version of like what Teddy Bridgewater has been as of late or whatever. And so I could see the Giants kind of just, you know, you know, trying to tread water with Kirk Cousins. I could see that. That could totally happen. I think they're going to get Russ or they're going to go hard after Russ. So I think he's going to end up there. I don't know where Kirk Cousins ends up. If he's so good, Minnesota should just keep him. But I guess they're not because he's. How not about Denver? Is he, is that not the most John Elway uh, move? If Rogers isn't there, maybe <laughs> Kirk replaces Rogers in, in Green Bay. <laughs> oh gosh, that'd be hilarious! Um, <laughs> wow. Okay, again, enough anyway. NFC North talk. Um, let's get to the New York terrible at football giants uh to set things up we throw it to ed valentine the main man over at big blue view to hear about how they got destroyed by the los angeles chargers the new york giants lost on sunday to the los angeles chargers by a 37 to 21 final score in a game that wasn't nearly as close as that score indicated the giants trailed at one point 37 to 7 after Los Angeles ran off 30 consecutive 
points after uh, the Giants had tied the score at seven apiece midway through the first quarter. This was a game in which uh, the Giants were simply inept on all three sides of the ball. The offense continued to be atrocious. The final numbers looked okay simply because the Giants scored two garbage time touchdowns in the final five minutes. The game was filled with typical special teams mistakes, bad punts, a kickoff that went out of bounds, inability to to really generate much, if anything, in the return game, punts that that sailed into the end zone uh, when the Giants were trying to play field position games. The defense that allowed seven Los Angeles scores in a string of eight possessions. Not a good look at all for the Giants who fell to four and nine, guaranteeing a fifth consecutive losing season, likely heading toward a fifth consecutive double digit loss season as well as the Giants are now four and nine with four games yet to play. Uh, head coach Joe Judge continued as he has all season to uh, to talk about the future, to talk about the long term, to talk about progress, insisting that he sees a foundation being poured for the Giants. But it's difficult to see that foundation on the field as the Giants performance so far this season has simply not been up to par the Giants are now 10 and 19 in Judge's two seasons as head coach. The belief at this point from most in the media is that Judge will return as head coach for the Giants next season. But, you know, there is increasing speculation about that, and we'll have to see where things go. Anyway, the Giants will host the Dallas Cowboys this coming Sunday at MetLife Stadium in a game where most likely the stadium is going to be filled with more Dallas fans than Giants fans. Don't know at this point if Daniel Jones will play. As of Monday morning, Jones was getting another MRI on the neck injury that has caused him to miss the last two games. If Jones doesn't play, the Giants will have to decide between veteran backup Mike Glennon, who has been anything but impressive in his two starts in Jones' absence, or second-year man Jake Fromm, who has yet to take an NFL snap. So we'll see what happens on Sunday, but things don't look good for the Giants, who who played another poor game on Sunday against Los Angeles as their season continues to spiral out of control. The Giants suck, BLG, but big thanks to Ed Valentine for uh, the time. He will be on Blog of the Boys' shows and stuff there later this week as the Cowboys visit the Giants looking for that season sweep of their rivals. Uh, they got destroyed by the Chargers, but Saquon Barkley caught a touchdown. Watch out. He's back. The thing about the Giants, RJ, and what I've been you know, following from Ed and actually did this in a question and answer you know, swap with him like we do on the SB Nation sites for Bleeding Green Nation a couple weeks ago when the Eagles were going to play the Giants and then lost to the Giants, uh, was like, what's the deal here with Joe Judge? Because I think Ed's long-term or like long-standing position, and obviously this is worth noting not just because Ed, uh, it's like just his opinion, but Ed has a good pulse on I think on what like the Giants are thinking too, is that they really don't want to fire another head coach after but, two years right but to me that seems like that is their top reason right now why they would keep joe oh. judge it's like it's not 
actually anything to do with his performance, but just because they don't want to fire, which is a terrible reason. You can't just not fire someone because like we don't, we can't do that because we keep doing it. But like, what is he doing RJ to justify his job? Because I feel like Ed has been pretty, you know, defensive of Joe judge. Uh, He's also, you know, he isn't like just, you know, treated him like he's infallible by any means, but like at the end of the day, he's had a lot of patience with him and I'm seeing that run out. Like I'm reading big blue view and I'm getting the sense there like that. That is kind of not lasting. And I don't blame him. Like the giants look listless right now. I know they have a lot of injuries and Daniel Jones isn't playing, but like still like, they're just like, they're not even competitive. And even in the Eagles game that they won, like, again, they only scored 13 points. Like that game was more about the Eagles blowing it. I think than the giants, like having this, you know, great performance and, and, and really beating them. They scored zero points off of four takeaways. I said that a billion times. So like, I just don't get why Joe judge's job is safe. And, you know, when you look at the giants remaining schedule here, like, do they get a win? Do they get one more win? And if they can't, they have, so for context here, they have the Cowboys this week, as you mentioned, then they get the Eagles, which I'm pretty sure the Eagles are going to win that game. I don't think they're getting swept <laughs> by the Giants. <laughs> Games in Philly. Uh, then they get the Bears, which is interesting, you know, because they own the have Bears first, first round, round pick. pick. Yeah. Um, and then they get Washington to end the season. Like if, if the Giants don't win another game and they don't really look you know, very competitive in these games. How do you bring Joe Judge back? How do you do that? Like, if you end this game, end the season on this big losing streak, like, what are you pointing to about the Giants that you can say, like, this is an encouraging sign? Like, can you can you name one thing? Nothing, nothing. I mean, like before, at least the last time the Cowboys played them, it looked like okay, you're gonna have Kadarius Tony's rookie season, right? Like, you're, you're gonna have this, like, you're gonna have something that you can something. look back on and feel like okay, at least we had that. There is nothing, yeah. dude. I mean, absolutely nothing. I, I, I just, he is the, it would be the anti Josh Rosen decision to keep him. Cause remember everybody said back in 2019, uh, when Kyler Murray was coming out and Arizona had the top pick, they said, well, you can't draft Kyler Murray. You just, you just took a quarterback in the first round. And I don't, I feel like the Cardinals don't get enough credit for that. Like, you know, that's a, a different discussion. Shout out to a, a throwback NFC East team, but that was the right decision. And like, they don't get credit for that, that the way they should, that was a hard decision that they went out on a limb on and they were right. Um, and yeah, this would be so stupid, but this would, if there's any team that I would believe that would operate that way, it would be the Giants. You know what I mean? Like they are so boring and dull. They are deserving of the dullest uniforms in the NFL, which is their road ones, the road whites and gray pants. That is so dull and bland and empty and just defeated. I mean, it is there. I, I I'm sad that I have to watch them play a football game on Sunday, if that makes sense. And and you're right. You know, Daniel Jones is hurt, but like, dude, they fired Jason Garrett. And I'm not saying that wasn't a, a, a sound decision or a justified decision, but their offense hasn't even improved. You know, like, like generally when, when you see that, you know, whether it's one way or the other, or I know we had the, the review that says, you know, the head coach should take over play calling. Generally, when you see that there is some bump that you at least get that one game that you're like, well, that's it. That's why they had to fire him or move on or take the duties away, whatever. And they haven't even had that. I mean, they are just the emptiest team in the NFL. I don't know if you know this or not, BLG, but this was floating around um, on Sunday after they lost again. Uh, and Ed did kind of trash them for another losing season, which they guaranteed with their ninth loss since the infamous boat photo that they took before their playoff game in 2016, the one that they lost, by the way, they have now had five straight losing seasons. And they are one loss away, which, as you mentioned, is an inevitability from five straight double-digit loss seasons. 
They are a joke. People said too much is being made of the boat. I think not enough is being made of the boat. I mean, this all goes back to the boat. My friend still texts me. My friend, shout out to Matt, uh, who is listening to this. But he texts me sometimes. Matt, we love you. He's like, hey, remember the boat? I'm like, yeah, I do. The Giants haven't been good since. Um, you just can't go on a boat before the playoffs. You're, it's just, you know, it's just a total curse. But to me, I think what's underrated in the NFL, at least from maybe my perspective, is the idea to, like, have a clean slate here. Like, you can get a new GM, because Dave Gettleman is presumably out the door and should be and very much overdue, uh, and you can get a new head coach at the same time. Like I like that structure because you're both coming in, you know, kind of on equal ground. It's not like, hey, the GM hired the coach or the coach was already here, and then the GM came in, so then the coach has kind of been here longer, so they kind of have more say over personnel, which, again, is usually not the way you want it. And that's what I almost fear is, like, going to happen if they keep Joe Judge. It's like they bring in a personal – they're going to bring in a personnel guy and it's going to be like, this is Joe, it's probably someone from the Patriots or whatever, some Patriots tree. And they're like, this is Joe Judge's guy. He's going to get him the Joe Judge players. It's like, what has he done to deserve that? Like, that's that's what you need to do, really, is to double down on Joe Judge. And that's what's going to turn the Giants around. Like, I think it's such a, it's so, I, I hate the idea of, maybe this is a very millennial thing to say, RJ, but patience. Like, patience is not always the answer. You don't just, like, sit around and do nothing. And you just, because, like, people say that with Jalen Hurts, too. It's like, you just got to let him develop. Like, no. Like, how about win? Like, how about, like, win now? Because you can do that if you make good moves and you're smart and you do the right things. This idea that, like, you need to take a lot of time. Now, if it's a case, you know, where it's, like, you know, you're at the process, process Sixers and it's something like that, that's obviously mm, that worked out very much so for them, by the way. Well, and this, it worked out from the standpoint of like the goal was to get star players and they got one star player and they got a <laughs> player who is mislabeled as a star player. But that's a whole different can of worms. Um, but the point is, like, there is value in a long term plan. But like, that's how is that what happening here? How is there any evidence like the evidence with the Sixers is that they were able to, like, stockpile assets that put them in a position to get stars? So you can point to that and be like, OK, here is the path for improvement. You might not agree with it, but it is a path. Like, what is the Giants' path to improvement? I guess that they have these first-round picks, but, like, what are they going to do with them? I don't know. So maybe they trade for Russ or something, and that obviously would seemingly raise their floor. I'm, it would raise their floor it, because it's incredibly low right now. I mean, um, it, but, would, it would be so sad though for russ i mean like i i would be very sad for him dude I mean, yeah, why is he going there why is he approving this the like, market the market that's all to be a yeah, giant but like, that's who, it that's it but that's, that's so thing. lame like who it cares like that's it's dumb. it doesn't mean anything anymore it means nothing or, it's yeah it's it's so stupid he's going there because it sets you up for a career afterwards where you can have a simulcast of monday night football granted eli has that partly because of his heritage not his heritage his um his lineage his actual well, family lineage like who, who he is um but i mean that's why i mean that to, to answer your question dude they, they are um uh, we got a tweet last week and apologies for um forgetting the tweet right now but we got a tweet that said <clears throat> as soon as um an episode of survivor ends i cannot wait to hear what rj and blg um, have to say, I'll look for the tweet right now, BLG, um, on the next NFC's mixed it. Now, the unfortunate thing is we record these on Tuesdays and they drop on Wednesday mornings, which is the day that Survivor premieres. By the way, uh, we pour one out for Danny McRae, actual Dallas Cowboy who was voted off last week. If you don't know that by now, it's been a week. That's on you, not on us. But they are the person on Survivor. This won't make sense for anyone who doesn't know what the show is about, so I apologize to you. 
They are the person who goes home with the idols in their pockets. That's who the Giants are. They they are they they find the idol because they were out like stumbling or, or you know what I mean like or whatever. They they weren't like hunting for it or looking for it, and they have no clue. They are this season's Nasir. That's who they are. They have no wow. idea what's happening around them. They they think they're totally fine. They think everything's good. They found an idol. They're playing Survivor. They're living the life. They're getting coconuts and building a, a you know a, a campfire and everything. And then they just get blindsided because they're not actually playing the same game as everybody else. Much less charming though than this year is. Agreed with that. Yeah. Also, Frank J Hall at Frank J Hall on Twitter is who that tweet came from. Thank you, DLG. Who is from Ireland? So shout out to our listeners uh, across the pond in ireland can you say that for ireland in addition to england i don't know why you couldn't i mean i, I don't know why you couldn't say that for like europe in general you know what i mean it's just but funny because you i feel like it's always england when you hear that right it is because that's like the relationship we have i feel like like we normally say it with like english people but i mean like europe europe throws so much stuff together in one pot that i feel like we can like they have you know the champions league it's like europe all europe you know what i mean the Ryder cup it's all europe just you know whatever we're gonna put all of europe into one bucket together so we can do it too all of europe is across the pot all right well well, then isn't like asia too like (laughs) i mean yeah, I mean, like, and te- technically, everything's across a pond. Like, if you if you want to be, this is a really existential point, by the way. <laughs> that, that, uh, we're uh, we're raising here. We um, we haven't been off topic enough, honestly, on this podcast. Kind of bad job by us. I we agree. Talked about mostly football. It's you know, well, it's easier to get off topic when you're talking about the Giants because they suck. I mean, they are so awful, dude. I just, I don't know. I, I'm. They're four more losses. That's it. I hope they keep Joe Judge around. I hope that they yeah. in, in in that brain trust are like Dave Gettleman's the problem. That's it. That's the only thing that's wrong with this team. Right? I mean, he is part of the problem for sure. But oh, yes, not yeah, the only I mean, problem. Yeah. Um. I guess since you're right, we didn't go off topic enough. Uh, a couple of notes just across the NFL because hey, we like football. Uh, and they're unfortunate notes. Um. As we've been recording BLG, Andy Reid spoke, uh, did a local radio hit and said that Chris Jones is in the COVID protocol. A reminder that Kansas City plays on Thursday night football this week. Uh, Meanwhile, Kimberly Martin tweeted out uh, and reported that she is hearing that the Browns have a significant, was the word she used, number of COVID cases among players, including multiple key guys on offense. Stay tuned. The Browns play on Saturday this week. So, um this sucks we don't like this stay away from us stay away from everyone COVID. this is not cool yeah it's not great i have a point that is totally unrelated to just what you said but i've been thinking about this and i want to bring it up okay and i feel like you're gonna agree with me on this um i forget exactly what context i was thinking of this in but i, I remember wanting to bring it up on the mixtape and the idea of excuses like really bothers me in the NFL when like you have a player. So I think it was actually kind of what you were touching on with Dak earlier. It's like one thing to make an excuse for someone not doing something like incredible in terms of like, let's say even like Carson Wentz last year, because people were doing this. It's like, Oh, well like the offensive line is injured and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, okay, those are good reasons why Carson Wentz shouldn't be like the MVP of the league right now, or like a top 10 quarterback, even let's say like, those are all fair reasons for that. Like, but some, for some reason, I feel like people take excuses to like extremes, like all those reasons don't excuse Carson Wentz from being like literally the worst quarterback in the NFL. It's like, it's, it's very clear that those things are true, but not to the extent that like he has to be terrible. So I feel like people do that too much, like just in terms of like not excuses don't like 
mean like the most severe thing all the time and you have to take it to the extreme of that and it's like well any struggles by that person is forgivable because they're dealing with this it's like okay well like if he was let's say again like the 15th best quarterback then you'd be like okay that's fine those are fair excuses because you know there's, there's a ceiling on what he can do with all these mitigating factors so that's been in my mind um i like that your tangent is still related to football along the lines of what you said i agree with you i also hate the take or the tweet rather that is um i don't know like the, the chiefs who you know they put up a lot of points on offense against vegas this past week the tweets again. are like yeah again but like the, the tweets that are like okay this is the chiefs they're they're back no 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 the struggle was the chiefs too like they're it's all the chiefs like you can't just say like the great version of them is is like who they are you know what i'm saying like it's all them. And so they just were bad at, at, at a particular point. Like that's, that's okay. Like that's like Sunday, the Dallas Cowboys offense was still the Dallas Cowboys offense. You know, it doesn't mean like, Oh, they're back to normal. No, they're just back to being good. Or they're, they're, they're back to being bad. Like it's, it's a ride. It's, 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 it's topsy turvy. You know, it's, it's going to change week to week. That's, that's life. Well, this is why Eli Manning isn't a hall of famer either. Like, it's not just like, well, he won two Super Bowls. Okay. Yes. But he has like a career 500 record. Mm -hmm. He had a lot of bad losing seasons in there and those count too. It's not like only the good things count. Like, no, like the bad, absolutely. Like you weigh it all together. You don't just like, oh, let's just ignore the bad because he did some good things. And to uh, a much uh, more sacrilegious degree, this is what people did with Nick Foles. It's like Nick Foles won the Super Bowl, but even before that, like 27 and two. Eli Manning. Yeah. It's just like, okay, I, yes, he has all the, but he has lows too. And he clearly is like, you know what, like a third stringer now. Like he's clearly not this guy that you make out to be as like this, you know, amazing starter and someone you're building the franchise around. Nick Foles, a legend, obviously, and did have the high highs, but like he also had low lows. Like you, you can, people will struggle. I think this goes to back to what I was saying about the excuse thing. Like I think people really struggle with the idea, and maybe I do too, maybe we all do, that like more than one thing can be true. 100%. It's, it's, it's just 100%. like, no, one thing is true and only, no, it's like things can be true at the same time that are different and maybe they contradict even a little bit. <sighs> that's anyway. that's what I said about Dak this week. It, it can be true that he's a great quarterback yeah. and that he is playing very badly right now. Both of those right. can be true. Like it, it's not, yes. it's not, he's awesome or he's trash. It's not like right. one extreme or the other. Um, two last things before we get out of here, BLG one still somewhat related to football. I haven't watched it yet, but I just saw that the trailer for Sean Payton's movie is now out. Uh, the one where Kevin James is playing him, you know, what I'm talking about his year where he no. was suspended. Yeah. There's a Netflix movie about his life when he was suspended as a result of the bounty scandal. And he coached his, I think it was his son's like flag football team. Um, yeah. And Kevin James is playing Sean Payton. It's been a big talking point. So the trailer is finally out. It comes out on Netflix, January 28th. Not an ad, just something I happen to see. Uh, my last thing on the subject, I actually have two last things on the subject of movies. Uh, one, pumped about Spider-Man No Way Home this weekend. You seeing it? Uh, not. I will be seeing it at some point. Not this mm. weekend, probably. Okay, well, that's my first thing. So you ruined it. But second thing, I asked this to Tony Casillas on the 750, which Cowboys fans heard on uh, Tuesday on our feed. But I'll ask it to you now. What is a Christmas movie to you, but that isn't to everybody else? Like a movie that you identify with Christmas or Christmas time that is kind of, you know, people would think it was weird. People would be like, that's not a Christmas movie. Do you have any so of these? You're talking about, like, you know, like, is Die Hard movie that no, no 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 i like i'm saying like the setting of the movie ha doesn't have to have anything to do with christmas you know what i'm saying like i'll i'll give you my answer first to help you out i um i have two uh, 
I was given Rush. This is what I told Tony. I was given Rush Hour 2 for Christmas when I was a kid, the, the movie. And I watched it then. So, like, I associate it with Christmas time. It's like a Christmas movie to me. Um, and I would also put the Harry Potter movies in there. Like, I kind mm. of feel sort of Christmassy about them. That's a little bit less of the Rush Hour 2 point. But you get what I'm saying? Like, they, they feel Christmassy to me, even though they have nothing to do with Christmas just because of my own life experiences. I got you. Um, one time I remember for Christmas, I don't know why, but we were at my uncle's house and I know why we we're there. It was a family get together, but I don't know <laughs> why we all decided to do this. But for some reason, like me and my cousins, we just sat in the basement of the house and awkwardly watched Tokyo Drift, Fast and the Furious. Oh, nice. like, that's what we did for Christmas that year. Like, I, And I don't know why we did that. We didn't talk. We just sat down and watched that movie. So uh, that's a memory that sticks out. I don't think of that as a Christmas movie necessarily when we do Christmas. Guess like one thing I would say, I feel like maybe I can't, I feel like I might be conflating this with Thanksgiving, but I remember like it was either Thanksgiving or Christmas, like just turning the TV on one night and like the Wizard of Oz was on. It was like mm, playing. That's a good like, answer. Movies, yeah. You might like watch with your family. So I would say that. Um, that's a good answer. I, you know, fun fact about me as somebody who born and raised and only ever lived in the state of Texas, I've never been to a house with a basement ever in my life. That's pretty crazy. I can't the even idea, imagine. The idea of that is really strange to me. Like I've, I've only, I'm only used to seeing basements like in movies and TV, like, you know, like are all, finished- are all basements like game rooms or TV rooms? No, I mean like, so my parents basement, for example, is like unfinished and you know, there's like, you know, it's like a washer and dryer, like, you know, it's kind of just like just stuff. Like it's not like a, a it it's not an so, area. Is it cold? Are they all like I feel like they would always be cold. It can be. It can be in the winter, sure. Yeah. Not like freezing, but you know, it's definitely cooler down there. Um a finished basement can be really nice, you know, some extra space. Usually, you know, maybe like get a game room down there. Uh, like, a, like a pool table situation, ping pong. Yeah, table oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, my, my yeah, my uncle, one of my uncles did have a pool table in this basement, had a lot of fun. I like playing what in the are- pool. What are your thoughts on basements, NFC's mixtape? He is on Twitter at Brandon Gowton. I am on Twitter at RJOCho. I've never been in one. I, I just, like, I, you know, the, I don't. Uh, Giants I mean, fans are the experts here on this topic. Nice. A nice body blow by BLG to end it. Uh, in fact, BLG, let's properly end it. Big thanks to Brian Stabby, to Ed Valentine for giving us some time today on the mixtape. If you like that too, please let us know. Please give them love at Hogshaven and uh, Big Blue View. Uh, they're great people. They're great sites. They do great work. Uh, BLG, the last six words the, belong to you. Because that's how many we, Super Bowls the Cowboys are going to have at the end of the season. Well, the next time we talk, the Cowboys might be division champions. Actually, uh, this is a point of contention that we've been sort of figuring out this week at Blog and the Boys. I believe that there is not a scenario where they can clinch. I mean, it's it's like extremely improbable. Like they need well, help. You lost from... me then. I, I was going off of what you yeah, said. I, well, that's what made sense. But like, there's something to do with tiebreakers and like to the All end. Right. Well, I, I mean, functionally, they're going to win it anyway, so it doesn't. Right, matter. right, right, right. So, um, yeah, well said. But okay, final six words belong to you. Make them great. Let's go to the pizza place tonight that was seven words that's seven words (laughs) later